I was never a sporty kid or athletic kid when I was growing up. And I do remember in primary school or high school, remembering that bloody 1.6K run that we all had to do for the fitness test. I used to dread this run. And I remember 1.6 specifically because I hated doing that run. And also when we did any kind of athletics carnivals or whatever, and we had to do hurdles and things, I don't know about you guys, but I remember thinking about the hurdles going, I'm so going to hit my shin on this freaking hurdle. Hi guys, and welcome back to the Rage Active podcast. We're bringing you insightful conversations to help you live an active and inspired life. So make sure you hit subscribe so that you get the latest episodes as soon as they are released. It would be also so amazing if you could leave a rating and review to help us bring you more episodes in the future. It's been so cool to see your five-star ratings and your amazing positive reviews for the podcast. We're so grateful that you turn up every week to listen and grow along your health and fitness journey. I'm your host, Rachel J, and I'm so excited to bring you this episode. We're coming to you with a solo episode this week, a little bit of a Q&A. So I'm going to be answering your questions around health and fitness and nutrition and a few personal questions as well, which will be super fun to get into. But I put out a little word on the gram and so these were the questions that came back. So I'm really excited to get stuck into these. So the first question is around nutrition. We're going to answer all the nutrition questions first. The first one is what's your take on intermittent fasting? Now, if you've been listening to the pod or watching my stories or follow me on socials, you know that I practice intermittent fasting and basically it's a timed approach to nutrition which means that you are in a fasted state for a period of time and then you are consuming your calories within a shorter window of time. So on average, usually when people do intermittent fasting, it's around 16 to 18 hours and you are fasted for that period of time. And then for the rest of the time, you are able to consume your calories. Obviously, there are other ways to do intermittent fasting as well, the five, two different days, but I'm talking about a daily intermittent fasting where this is done every day. So I practice this every day. Now, the benefits really for intermittent fasting are obviously one, you may have a little bit more control around your calorie intake. So if you have a smaller window with which to consume your calories, maybe for some people, it's easier to make sure that you stay within your calorie goals, whether that's to maintain or to shred. It depends on what your goals are. It also gives your gut a rest. So the longer time your digestive system have a break from digesting all the foods that you're intaking, it just gives it a little bit more of a rest and is able to settle your digestive system a lot better. Also, it can help to keep your body in an alkaline state. And the difference between an alkaline state and an acidic state is that when your body is in an acidic state, it means that it's going to be more inflamed, you're going to carry more fluid, you are going to be less effective in terms of your metabolic processing. So we really want to make sure that we are in an alkaline state and intermittent fasting can help with that as well. The other thing is also that your metabolism can be improved or the efficiency of your metabolism is improved as well. So there are a few things that you can have that 
will not break your fast. So generally when I am fasting, I can have things like tea or black tea, herbal teas, black coffee. You can have apple cider vinegar and lemon with some warm water. None of these will break your fast. And generally speaking, when I do break my fast, I'll try to break it on a protein if I can. However, that is not always the case. So sometimes I will break it on a sup like a BCAAs, which is a basically mid-training supplement, which will break the fast because it does have calories in it. However, if you're going to be eating straight after, it kind of doesn't really matter. So basically what you want to do is to make sure that you aren't consuming any calories in your fasted window because as soon as you do, that's what's going to break your fast. Now, people have asked me whether this is a good thing to do or a bad thing to do and people do have varying opinions about intermittent fasting. I personally do it because it works really well for my lifestyle and just the way that my lifestyle is set up. So I'm coaching a lot. I'm also training a lot and I personally do not like to have any food in my stomach when I'm training. A lot of people will tell you that you need to make sure you fuel before you train, which absolutely do that if that is what you need for your performance. For me personally, I have definitely tried to do that and eaten before I trained and it it just makes me feel sick. Uh, I don't like to feel like I'm nauseous while I'm training. So that's why I do not eat before I train. It just works better for me. Also, it depends on the kind of training that you do. So if you are working at a higher intensity rate let's say you are, you know, for me, I train in boxing, for example, or high intensity training, HIIT training, functional training. There's a lot of high impact movements and also a lot of energy exertion. So that generally when I have something in my stomach, I don't feel good when I do that kind of training. Obviously, if you do other kinds of training, it may work out better for you. But again, this is just personal preference. It works really well for my lifestyle and the kind of work that I do. If you work predominantly where you're seated at a desk, and I know I've definitely spoken to clients and also to friends who have to eat as soon as they get up. And if that's you, totally fine. Intermittent fasting may not be for you, okay? So this is just something that I think people want to know about because I've spoken about it. It doesn't mean that it's right for everybody. And yes, you know, there's a lot of, I guess, sometimes there can be criticism around it because it is basically you are skipping a meal, you're effectively skipping breakfast, but it doesn't mean that you are not consuming the calories that are required for your intake, okay? It's just a timed approach to your nutrition. So the next question is, what is your advice for someone trying to eat cleaner on a budget? Now, this one's a little bit harder to answer because obviously everyone's budget is a little bit different. But as a generalization, I've got a few little pointers that may help you if you are trying to eat cleaner and you have got a budget. The first tip is to plan your meals for the week. Now, this will help you see your meals in advance. And that means you can plan your grocery shopping and then obviously be able to plan that a lot better than if you were just sporadically grabbing a meal every every day or, or whatever it is. The second thing is to shop at the market because fruit and veg and meats often are much, much cheaper from the market. The third thing is to bulk and freeze. Now, generally, even if you don't have a meal plan or looking forward to see your week, there is 
is probably, I would say, as again, as a generalization, about five to 10 meals that each of us have that we just rotate around, right? And most of the time, the most expensive part of that meal is going to be the protein portion. So those proteins, you can definitely bulk buy. And that could be your lean chicken or your fish or whatever red meats that you're having. You want to buy them in bulk and then freeze them so that on the days that you do want to have them, you can just thaw them out and then cook as you need them. But that's definitely a way to reduce the cost on those. Number four would be to also buy some frozen veg and fruit. And I think there's sometimes a little bit of a stigma around frozen veg because there may be this idea that in terms of nutrients, it's not as dense when they're frozen, but really you're not really going to lose out too much on that. And from a cost perspective, frozen veg is super cheap. And even if you like to do say berries or something in your smoothies, that kind of thing, Buying frozen berries, for example, is generally speaking much cheaper than buying fresh. And you probably want them to be frozen anyway because they're kind of easier to blend up when you've, you know, thrown them in a, uh, a smoothie or something like that. But even if you want to eat them not frozen, you can just thaw them out. So those are my tips for eating a bit cleaner on a budget. The next question is, what do you eat in a day? So again, I'm generally fasted and most of the day, almost the morning at least, I am fasted. I will break my fast at around 2 p.m. That's on average per day. The first thing that I'll be having in a day, if I'm training, it may be a sup like BCAAs, which is basically a mid-training supplement that helps to hydrate and help your muscles recover. That will be the first thing I have. Then I will usually have a coffee, a decaf coffee. I don't usually drink caffeine because obviously by the time that I'm having my coffee, if I had a caffeinated drink, I'd be up all night. But I also don't like to drink coffee purely off the fact that I'm I'm prone to anxiety and I know that it definitely arcs up my nervous system or that fight or flight mode that your body can get into. It just amps up those adrenals and I definitely feel the difference when I do have coffee, so I stick to decaf. What I'll have with that decaf is usually some fruit, so papaya or something like that. And I'll also have maybe a little sweet treat like a donut or a muffin or something like that. I was on eggs for a long time, egg whites, and I would have egg whites, mushrooms, and some smoked salmon, which ideally in terms of a macro sense, that is much, much better instead of a processed carbohydrate treat like a donut. However, I tend to go through rotations. Like I said before, I have meals that I have on repeat for, let's say, a few months, and I definitely get sick of them. And then I rotate them out. So at the moment, I'm off eggs and I like my fruit and a little bit of a sugary something in the morning because it's my first thing that I have. Again, it's probably not ideal. You probably should be breaking it with something like a protein, but I'm just being super real, guys. This is what I'm having at the moment. So for the rest of the day, for that window where I'm allowed to consume food between anywhere from 2 p.m. to let's say around 8 p.m. is where I'm eating. I don't really have set meal times per se because I eat to this intermittent fasting way of eating, which means that I just eat whenever I want to eat and eat when I'm hungry. So what I'm really eating during that period of time is sushi rolls, rice paper rolls. Generally, they're going to be vegetables and a protein. At the moment, they're chicken. So 
boiled chicken is in the um, rice paper roll. And then for my sushi rolls, I'm really having either tuna and avocado, California rolls or salmon, something like that with a nice clean protein and some, and some veggies. And then I'll also have another protein and salad. So at the moment, I've been really into oysters. If you guys have been watching my stories, been having them quite frequently, not too much, but a couple times a week. And that's my protein source. And then I'll have a salad that I whip up. Now, the oysters are really great because they are a low-cal form of protein and it's straight protein. So if it's not oysters, it's going to be something else like a white fish or some chicken or something like that. And I just switch that protein out depending on what I feel like for the day. And then that's accompanied by a nice salad, which is usually just some butter leaves that I put together, some cherry tomatoes. I'll put a little salt, olive oil, and a little bit of kewpie mayo. If you guys know what that is, it's a bit of Japanese mayo. So that's kind of what I have in terms of the main parts or main meals. And then I'll also snack. So I do snack every day. And I want to make sure that this is really clear that even someone like me who is a nutrition coach, I still do eat junk food and I like to eat junk food every day. I think it's a healthy part of eating in moderation. So that will usually be something like some popcorn. For me personally, that's cheese popcorn. I don't know if you guys like that stuff, but to me, it's really yummy. And I also have some chocolate as well. So that'll be my main portion of the day. The next question is, what is your favorite meal? So Japanese is my favorite cuisine. And within that cuisine, I obviously like sushi, sashimi, I also really like laksa and if you are familiar with Malaysian cuisine, it's one of those really traditional dishes and it's super yummy but it's one of those foods that I don't really eat very often but when I do have it, it's amazing. I also really like seafood. So as you can see, it's all of these favorite foods I generally tend to incorporate into my daily eating routine and it's it's nice to have that moderation I think as well. So another question I have here is, what are your favorite healthy snacks? So I've kind of touched on this a little bit before. I really like popcorn. I usually get the Cobbs popcorn. I like the cheddar cheese flavor. Some people think it's really strange, cheese popcorn, but I really love it. The other kinds of snacks I would say are protein yogurt is a great one you can throw together with some berries. I also like to add some sugar-free maple syrup. Now, these are just healthier options and I would say slightly lower cal options as well. It doesn't mean that they're not processed. Obviously, if you want to go super healthy, you're going to go with not processed foods. The other thing I'd say is any kind of protein bar can be helpful if it's a low carb or low sugar and it's higher in protein. That will help you stay satiated for longer with that higher protein intake. And there's also a variety of different chocolate bars that are higher in cacao and less sugar. So I think there's a brand called Well Naturally, which does really nice variety of different dark chocolate ranges. You can have the almond chip or mint chip or whatever it is. Now, I will say this. This is just me personally. And I think maybe it's ironic me saying this as a nutrition coach. I think if you want to have chocolate and you want to go the dark chocolate route, awesome. But for me personally, 
if I'm going to have chocolate, I'm just going to have the bloody chocolate that I want, okay? So that's probably going to be like a, a caramello koala or something like that or a lint ball or some Maltesers or something like that. They are definitely not the healthier option. But in terms of moderation, I feel like calorically speaking, it's probably not that different to a dark chocolate bar. Yes, you're going to have more cacao and less sugar in your dark chocolate bar. But look, I'm a big advocate for indulgence and indulgence in moderation. So please do have the chocolate bar as long as it's in moderation is my motto. All right. The next question is on to training and exercise. One of the questions that I got asked a lot actually is how many times a week should I do Pilates? And this is an interesting question because there is no one set amount of times you should do Pilates. It really depends on what your overall health and fitness goal is. Most of the time when people are doing Pilates, it's to tone up. And so I would say three to four times on average is roughly around about what people do. However, I would say that you want to just gauge to see how that feels for you in your body. And if you feel like it's too much, then pull it back and incorporate other things. I will also say that it's really important to incorporate other types of training into your overall fitness regime. Yes, it's great to do Pilates. And obviously I'm going to advocate for that because that's what I'm a trainer in as well. But I also will advocate for other kinds of training as well. Like you want to get in some weight training as well. You want to get in some cardio fitness. So Pilates is good for creating tone and strengthening your muscles. Lean toned muscles is sort of what Pilates is known for also core strength, obviously. However, it doesn't really affect your muscle growth or building lean muscle. And it also doesn't impact your cardio fitness. So you want to be doing things that will help you in terms of your heart health, cardiovascularly, but also your muscle strength and your muscle growth there as well. Because the more lean muscle you have, the more efficiently your body is going to metabolize the energy that you are ingesting. Another question I have got here is how do I tone up and lean down? Now, this is one that I've touched on in an episode of the podcast already, but let's go through it anyway, because this is definitely one of the most common questions that I get asked as a coach. And I think most of the nutritionists and the coaches and the trainers that I've spoken to, even on this podcast, have spoken about this as well. And this still is the number one request that most of us get. So depending on your body type, that's really going to determine what you need to do to tone up and lean down. Essentially, when someone says they want to tone up and lean down, it's to build lean muscle and to lower their body fat. That's essentially what it is, right? So as a woman specifically, you've got three body types. I mean, this is applicable to men as well, but for women, you want to kind of pay attention to this because this will really help you identify what you need to do. There are three main body types, an ectomorph, a mesomorph, and an endomorph, and they each have different attributes that you will be more genetically predisposed to if you have a certain body type. So for example, an ectomorph is a very kind of athletic figure where your body shape may be more of a rectangular shape. You're very straight up and down. Maybe your hips and your waist are similar width and you find it difficult to put on weight. So that's an ectomorph. A mesomorph is a little bit more muscular. They may be also a little bit more prone to putting on weight if they do not 
look at their nutrition. And then an endomorph is, I would say, more of a pear shape where an endomorph carries more of their fat in their hips or in their midsection. And they may be more genetically predisposed to insulin sensitivity or also to carbohydrates in general. Okay. So if you're having foods like that, it might impact your body more than the other body types. So that for starters is where you want to start to understand what you need to do. In terms of leaning down, that really is reducing your body fat. And so generally speaking, as a guide, you do want to reduce your processed foods, your highly refined sugars. You want to make sure that you're eating foods as clean as possible in terms of you want raw foods and less processed foods. And you also want to watch your caloric intake. So to be able to pull your body fat percentage down, you need to be eating in a calorie deficit, which means that you are exerting more energy than you are consuming. And that's across the board. It just means with the body types, it just means that you might need to look into the different aspects of your nutrition a little bit further, just to make sure that your body is not more sensitive to one kind of macro than another. For instance, the endomorph body type or the pear-shaped body type, because it's more insulin sensitive and more sensitive to carbohydrates in general, you want to look at your carbohydrate intake and just look at what those carbohydrates are. So that's the leaning down part, okay? The leaning down part is definitely going to be about your nutrition, making sure you're in a calorie deficit and making sure that you're not having foods that your body is more highly sensitive to. And then to tone up, obviously, we're then going to build lean muscle and you need to do this to help your metabolism more efficiently process the foods that you're intaking. Now, this is why I've said before that you need to incorporate other kinds of training into your schedule. Aside from Pilates, I know a lot of you see me for Pilates, but it's important to do other things as well. We've had other trainers on the podcast like Danny Kennedy, Brittany Katz, who are both strength trainers and specifically help people with strength training and also Cass Olholm, who was on the show and she's a sweat trainer. Her program is the high intensity strength program and they're, they will all advocate for strength training. And I know that especially as females, there's this misconception, I think that strength training or weights training is going to make you bulky. But as so many of them have said, I think they've all said them in their interviews, um, Danny Kennedy, Brittany, and also Cass all said that it is a misconception because the amount of weight training you would need to do is so much to bulk to the degree that you think you might bulk to. Also, your nutrition plays a part in this as well. So if you're not eating in a calorie surplus, which means that you're eating specifically to gain muscle, it's really not going to happen, okay? You're not going to bulk and become this massive, um, you know, have these massive muscles. So it's just important to make sure that you're also building that lean muscle as well. The other question we have here, a little bit more personal, but still related, is how did you get into fitness? So I, I just want to say this, and I haven't really spoken too much about my own journey. I do like to speak to other people about their journeys, but I was never a sporty kid or athletic kid when I was growing up. And I do remember in primary school or high school, remembering that bloody 1.6k run that we all had to do for the fitness test. I think there was some sort of fitness test we had to do. I don't even remember how frequently we had to do this, but I used to dread this run. And I remember 1.6 specifically because I hated doing that run. 
And also when we did any kind of athletics carnivals or whatever, and we had to do hurdles and things. I don't know about you guys, but I remember thinking about the hurdles going, I'm so going to hit my shin on this freaking hurdle. And so I would do the hurdle where you would run up to the hurdle, stop, and then run over, like jump over the hurdle and then keep running. It was so not a fluid motion at all. That is the kind of kid that I was in terms of my athletic ability. And so I think it's just a testament firstly to how much movement can empower you and to see where I am now, obviously working in this profession, it is very, very interesting that, you know, um, we can come to movement and fitness and notice how much it can change our lives. So I got into fitness basically because I had firstly to preface this, I started my career as I intended to become a journalist and I went into a comms degree. I quickly pivoted then into acting and pursued acting as a profession. Um, I sort of had done that throughout high school. So um, that was where I sort of veered off to after I booked my first feature film. It was an Australian feature film. I went off and did the LA thing and lived on and off in LA for quite a while, uh, on and off for several years. And then I went through a relationship breakup. And I feel like so many women can resonate with this story where you go through a breakup and then you suddenly want to do this big overhaul of your life. And so you're looking at all the different things that you want to change in your life and health and fitness is definitely one of those ones. I've heard so many people talk about this, that I've just gone through a breakup and I just want to get back into my health and fitness, right? So it was very similar for me. However, I wouldn't even say that I was getting back into health and fitness. It was more just that I really wanted to create a lifestyle where health and fitness was natural to me because it so hadn't been for so long. And it was one of those things that I did on and off. So I'd go to the gym and be super into it for a while. And then I'd kind of veer off and lose interest in it. And so I really wanted to make it something that was just part of my lifestyle. So for me, it started with my own journey into health and fitness. And it started with Pilates. And I really loved that feeling of that core burn. You guys know what I'm talking about. It feels so good when it's burning. It hurts, but it's great. And so that's how I got into it. I started with Pilates and I eventually then trained to become a Pilates trainer. I trained in pre-postnatal. I trained in nutrition. I trained in a uh, post-grad cert for neuro-linguistic programming, which is all about how your mind and your body are connected and how we can change behaviors that way. And I also trained in boxing. And so it really initially started because I went through a breakup and was transforming my life. I think for me, it was very much that I could see the changes in my own body and really loved how I felt that I wanted to share that and help other people do the same thing. So that's really how I got into it. And it really has developed. I've sort of dabbled in a variety of different areas in health and fitness. I am qualified in a bunch of different areas. And so it all kind of interlinks because I really do feel that essentially movement and mental fitness is all connected, right? And when you are proficient in a certain movement practice, and for me, especially it's been boxing that has really helped me do this from going from someone who really didn't know how to box at all to being someone who coaches people in boxing has been really huge because you can see the shift in what you can do in the gym and being able to see what you can then do outside of the gym. That mental shift and that mindset shift really helps you translate what you've done in the gym or what you've done with movement and translate that to another area 
all the other areas of your life, which has been really amazing for me to see, not only in my life, but a lot of people who I have coached and witnessed and seen them on their journey, which is so, so cool. The other question I have here is a little bit more personal. What was it like living in LA? What were your favorite moments? So as I mentioned before, I lived in LA on and off for several years. This is when I was working as a professional actor and it was so amazing in LA. And I think that there are different perceptions about LA, definitely. I definitely have friends who love their time in LA and I have friends who did not like LA at all. And I think part of that is just finding your little pocket of LA to be friends with because obviously there's the perception of Hollywood and that very glitzy, glamour, party life, Hollywood life, which definitely I had moments of living that. There were a lot of mansion parties and a lot of very cool events and celeb sightings and all of those kinds of things. However, I would say that, you know, my favorite moments of living in LA were more about what I was there to do. So I obviously was there as an actor and I studied Meisner, which is an acting technique, very much based in truth and authenticity. And instead of thinking about acting as pretending to be someone else, the Meisner technique is very much based in figuring out your own truth. And it's about living life and the ability to live truthfully. And so I definitely think that during that period of time, it was very difficult to be dishonest to yourself because I was training in this method pretty much every day. I was putting up scenes, doing acting exercises. And I think that was the greatest or the most favorite moment or moments of my time in LA was learning this technique, but also the impact it had on my life, generally speaking. It made me come to a lot of big decisions around my life and where I wanted it to go. Because literally when you're doing this technique, it's really hard to lie to yourself because you really, you can't. So that probably was the the start of Um, as I mentioned before, when I had my big relationship breakup, this was probably when I realized that the relationship I was in probably wasn't going to be the best moving forward. So I would say those kinds of things, more to do with my own personal growth were my favorite moments of LA. And of course, yes, you know, those highlights like, you know, Chateau Marmont and like, I think I did the 30 seconds to Mars after party and, you know, meeting people like Jared Leto and all that kind of stuff was fun. But I do have to say, you know, it, it it's it's not all glitz and glam in Hollywood. Yes, it, it appears to be like that, but you know, there's there's also like a grittier side of LA, and and that's the other thing too. I think it brings you back to reality that there are a lot of homeless people in LA, and that was that was very obvious. Uh, I spoke about this in my episode with Lols, who just got back from LA, um, living over there for several months, and that definitely was one thing that stood out to me was just the amount of homeless people on the streets and also the amount of elderly homeless people, which you just wonder too, you know, that they obviously don't have anywhere to go. They don't have any family. They don't have anyone that they can stay with for them to be on the street like that. So that was very heartbreaking. And I think if anything, those kinds of moments really helped me be grateful for my life. So there are a little bit of unconventional favorite moments, I think, from LA, but I think mostly they were moments that helped me grow 
and become a better person. So hopefully this has helped you guys. I feel like I've spoken a lot and I don't usually talk this much in an episode. It's usually my guest who gets to speak and give you all the juicy inspo and advice. So I really hope that this episode has helped you. I've answered all the questions and we've picked a few that have um, sort of resonated and I feel like are quite commonly asked. So thank you so much again for listening, guys. And I really do hope that this season of the Rach Active podcast has helped you in some way along your journey. Really, the intention of the podcast is to help you learn and grow and better yourself as a person, not only with your physical health, but also with your emotional and your mental health as well. So thank you again so much for listening, guys. I really appreciate your support and so grateful to have you as the audience for the podcast and we'll catch you next time on the next episode of the Rage Active Podcast. Thank you.